Okay, welcome back to Lord Clark and Friends, episode number 17. Uh, today we're back with our friend Lord Cran, and uh, we're about to begin our conversation. Woohoo! Woohoo! All right. 17 episodes! Woohoo! Yeah. Up, you know? Well, we've made it to episode 17, so. That's right. All right. Uh, what did you want to get started off talking about tonight? Well. What do you think about that whole inauguration that we had? Well, first of all, uh, as I was talking to you before, I got um, I uh, had to at work. I was forced to watch it, so I got to watch the whole thing streaming on the internet, which uh, led me to believe the internet is not ready for live streaming on-demand television yet, because everybody slammed the network, and it was the choppiest video I'd seen in about five. Four years, <laughs> um, and I was on a, a dedicated fiber optic connection in the building at home. I was looking at it with, so um, dedicated Verizon SES lines. So it was not like the bandwidth was an issue. Um, so I kind of was. Um, oh, and I should mention it was also on the internet to backbone. So. Uh, it wasn't like I had a bandwidth problem getting in this with this building. But aside to the technicals, what are, what are some of your thoughts on the content? Um, the content was quite varied and interesting, as 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 the only way to put it. I, and in interesting, I use in the mixed term of interesting, not interesting like woohoo, this is fun. This is more interesting in, you know, you had a, a renegade presidential prayer, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really, uh, as far as the tone of the day, I thought, wow, they're, they're really stretching out here. Um, I also noticed uh, just some of the things surrounding it. Uh, looks like the rest of the ex-presidents hate Jimmy Carter as much as we do on this show. Um, so I thought that was a good sign. Uh, less and less people are liking Jimmy Carter. Um, he screwed up this country. We're all praying that Obama isn't the next Jimmy Carter, uh, <clears throat> though we think he is. Uh, let's see. What else did I think about it? Um, Aretha Franklin. Well, you couldn't you couldn't tell she was singing "My Country to the Bee." Uh, yeah, she butchered the words, but she really butchered the song. Um, yeah, she changed it a little bit. And her hat was kind of ugly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So she butchered the words, which was really just bad, and everybody kind of was, like, scratching their heads. The uh, classical thing was all right, though. I mean... Well, Yo-Yo well, Ma did his job, and, 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 and I, I felt the ceremony was fine. I mean, everything was uh, fine. I thought it was funny. Teddy, you know, good old Teddy Kennedy had a seizure. Um, well, you know, the lead-in to the whole thing made it feel like a rock concert of some kind, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in in in, in, in that respect, it let you down. Uh, yeah. In the biggest... It almost made it, I felt it made a mockery of the inauguration process, actually. But, I, you know, I digress. I, I think the, the content of, of his speech, and, I mean, I, I know we can, you know, mince words and talk subtleties about... Uh, the setup of the show and the leading act, the, the, the opening band, uh, act for him. But the one thing that, that, you know, it was such a hodgepodge of 
ideas in his speech. Well, it was like he, he ripped off Nixon. He ripped off Reagan. He ripped off Kennedy. He tried to rip off the founding fathers a little bit. And and he also ripped off some ideas from his uh, radical uh, economic justice, um, radical left, you know, well, we're going to help everybody. And, and there's a lot of work ahead. So he kind of, you know, he was also sort of playing up some angles that actually sounded like Bush. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, the, I think out of everything he said, the fact that we're all going to have to work was something that I thought was interesting, which kind of makes me wonder how that lady who thinks Obama's going to pay her mortgage is actually going to get her mortgage paid, or is she going to have to go out and actually find a job? <laughs> um, that's the kind of impression I got from Obama. Uh, other than that, to me, this speech sounded like a campaign speech. And you know what? I don't want to hear a campaign speech on the inauguration. You're done campaigning. You've got four years in office now. Let's get to work. You know, you know, I want to hear, you know, I mean, Kennedy, we're going to the moon in 10 years. Let's be honest. That's something that's a challenge. You know, my concern is that he actually, and he, I mean, if you look at the past couple of days as an example, he's already doing things. I don't want him to do anything. If anything, I want him to be gridlocked so he can't get anything done because I don't like what he's going to do. Well, yeah, and he's done a couple of things that, uh, you know, annoy the crap out of me. Yeah. Uh, he's done some uh, some things that I could care less. He did do one thing that I actually was, I have to say, impressed by. Which, what was that? Um, he banned anybody working on his staff from becoming a lobbyist during his term. Yeah in the presidency. That actually needed to happen. Yeah, he did a pay freeze, didn't he? Yeah, and he did a pay freeze for anybody who's making over $100,000 a year, which I like. I kind of like that. I mean, hate to say it, that number is a good number as far as, hey, you're making decent money at that point. I'd actually like to know how many people resigned promptly thereafter. Well, what are they going to do for another job? You, you really can't because you can't become a lobbyist. And so you've got no other job prospects lined up if you try to resolve promptly right there, there and then. Yeah. Uh, it just kind of rots because D.C. is probably now the toughest place to get a house in the country. <laughs> it's now become probably the, one of the priciest markets in the country because California is in, in recession, Northeast is in recession. D.C. is one of the few places that still has a boom. And they're not even booming, but they have a higher price market. Right. Uh, so they're probably going to be, you know, freezing out anybody over $100,000. is, You know, 100000 is a bit low for that market to say, oh, wow, you know. But, hey, at least he's doing it. Uh, and that meant a pay freeze for him, too. So. Uh, yeah, well. So his 250. Well, he's already made it, what, a couple million in, in books? Oh, yeah, and then a couple of million from kickbacks from uh, from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. Um, kind of interesting. Um, other than that, this Guantanamo Bay stuff, 
he's just acting stupid. The we're going to use the army field manual. Well, the army doesn't even pay attention to that when they're interrogating people. But well, at least that's what they say on the side. Well, I, I'm actually I would question the motives of of how we got to the point where where not only you know torture is unacceptable for our enemies, but how we got to the point of uh, just not being able to use cruel and unusual punishment as a means of uh, prevention. Now, I want to know something. Does Obama... uh, Is this cruel and unusual punishment to take four guys up in a helicopter, throw one out, and expect the other three guys to to sing about what they're doing wrong? Is that torture? Because you know, someone might call that an accident. Well, yeah, an accident. A guy fell out of a helicopter. Okay. And you don't even touch the other three guys. They just kind of volunteer information after the quote accident. Hmm. Now that's what I've heard army interrogation techniques are like. Nobody touches anybody. We were just bringing guys back from the field, and one guy jumped out of the helicopter. Um. <laughs> you know, so. I don't know why he needed, you know, why you need to waterboard anybody, you know? <laughs> and they said that was quite an effective tactic. Um, so I don't understand. Uh, from what I understood, the U.S. doesn't torture anybody anyway. <laughs> I mean, if you look at it through the right eyes. Uh, well, I, mean, I think that, you know, I support the idea of, of, uh, closing a, a facility that the prison, given the stipulation that we're going to save the taxpayers some money by executing the prisoners. Yeah. I think that's the way to go. It, it's a win-win. Right. I mean, now, one thing this sort of brings up, and I guess apparently there was some news that one of the guys... Uh, was released in 2007, given to Saudis, and they tried to rehabilitate him. Yeah. And he went out and joined, um, who, Al-Qaeda? Yeah, well, the Saudis have an interesting rehabilitation program. (laughs) Well, see, as the 9-11 hijackers were Saudis, and, you know, that's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Well, I do, yeah, and and but I do I do give them some credit for taking the steps to create a rehabilitation program, which I understand is a quite an interesting program. How so? Um, let's just say that what they do to those people in that program that don't want to comply, they make them comply. And you don't want to be caught a second time if you've gone through that rehabilitation program. And they make it plainly clear to those people that you can either be rehabilitated or we can take you out back um, and nobody will find you again. Uh, so it's not, you know, it sounds like they make it, they may, they, and they sound like they've been having some pretty, uh, pretty good successful numbers at making people, rehab- quote, rehabilitated. Um so they're at least trying to take it seriously. The only problem is is they've got a whole bunch of people in their government who 
like to support terrorism by giving their money because they have way too much money in the in the high upper class. And it's almost like the problems here, you know, the upper class who is ultra liberal. Oh, it doesn't matter what we do with our money. It doesn't matter that the Chinese get our defense secrets. Um, you know, it's the same thing that happened in the Clinton era, you know. It's the same kind of thing, you know. Oh, Chinese can get our missile defense secrets because, oh, we need help with these rockets that are exploding on the ground, you know. The same yeah. thing with our upper end, you know, they share secrets, they share defense things. It's the same thing that's going on with Obama that's going on with the Saudis. Let's take care of the home first, and then we'll deal with our neighbors. Let's get the plank, you know, let scripture get the plank out of your own eye. <laughs> Before you go try to deal with the speck of dust in your neighbors, you know. Yeah, I have no problem quoting Jesus on this podcast. <laughs> and yes, everybody, he was a Jew. I don't want any of our listeners mis- misguided. Christian. So during the, uh, the pastor, is, is it the pastor? No, no, actually during Obama's uh, thing. Yeah. He, uh, he was going on about the Lord being one. And then he went on to do, like, a, a Christian quote, huh? Yeah, well, you know. It, it, black people have a hard time giving up that there's only one God and they're Christian. No matter how much they, they want to they wanna try to fight it. They, they, uh, seem to, they seem to have some of those Christian values hidden underneath them. Which, is, which again, is why we got to laugh at California. Let's get all the blacks out to vote for Obama. And then not realize that the blacks also hate gay marriage. <laughs> and hate the thought of the uh, idea of gay marriage. So, you know, you're going to... I think that's something interesting that you may see from him and some of the black community's point of views uh, may not line up with the ultra-liberal uh, thinking that's on on Washington. Maybe his only saving grace. So it's almost like an act of conservatism uh, in at least an oddball way. Right, because the black community has a despise for gay people being gay and really looks down upon it really bad. They, uh, it's conservatism striking back through culture, through culture, which is interesting that you know there's still a black culture. I mean. Well, the black culture does have some funny things. Uh, so they like their big, ladies big and round, and they uh, they uh, hate gay. They hate gays. So well, let me get, well, let me ask you something. This is kind of unrelated, but right. The, the scope of uh, what? The president and and how the president uh, acts or decides what um, what is considered proper in terms of the use of presidential power. A lot of people in the Bush administration were um, very upset about how wiretapping and um, Suspension of habeas corpus and 
you know, these things that were, were supposed to be done in the interest of the public safety. Now, if the president does something that is not in the public safety uh, or contradicts the public safety, right? does that make him criminal? Uh, no. And Nixon was kind of right, in a way. The only real criminal acts that the president, the president's ever really going to be held accountable for are high crimes and treason. Um, you know, you've got to commit a pretty serious crime, or attempting to commit a pretty serious crime, for it to really reflect on the president. Um... Clinton kind of stained that a bit, but... Uh, well, well one thing I, I was reading recently, uh, I was actually reading Jefferson and trying to get my head around this idea that he was conveying about... Uh, well, oh, there are a lot of people out there... Let, let me back up a little bit. There are a lot of people out there who believe in the sanctity of the Constitution. And, you know, when the inauguration occurs, the president is supposed to swear in that they're going to defend or uphold the Constitution. Right. Well, Jefferson had some different ideas about that on the letter of the law versus the intent of the law. And if people are hung up on the letter of the law, they're just not getting it. Yeah. Um, but do remember, and I'm only going to interject this, and I'll interject this as a slight quote, and I'll let you get back to your thing, but there were a lot of Jefferson's contemporaries that had a bit of a hard time with him in his letter, you know, this law thing, and he really, he even took it a little bit too far, and he'd take things a little bit too far. I mean, granted, he was the one who drafted the documents and all of that, but, you know, he he kind of was willing to take things a little bit too far sometimes, and so they kind of didn't always like him and didn't always agree with him. Right. But I'll let you get back to your point. Well, let me let me throw a couple quotes at, out there, and then we can you know bring a little life to them. Okay. A strict observance of the written laws is doubtless one of the high duties of a good citizen but it is not the highest. The laws of necessity, of self-preservation, of saving our country when in danger are of higher obligation. To lose our country by a scrupulous adherence to written law would be to lose the law itself with life, liberty, prosperity, and all those who are enjoying them with us, thus absurdly sacrificing the end to the means. And then he gives an anecdote about George Washington. And then, in all these cases, the unwritten laws of necessity, of self-preservation, and of the public safety control the written laws of medium and tool. Okay. So, one could make the case that 
when the president does something that acts in contradiction to the Constitution, he is upholding its intent. Mm hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, well, upholding the intent of the Constitution. I think that's. I think what you're getting at is one of the things that I've heard that this is why people had a problem with Jefferson. Uh, because he got he got kind of annoyed when they started amending things or adding amendments. Because um, it's supposed to be this document and the intent and how do we interpret intent and who gets to interpret intent and what does interpretation mean? It's so vague that well, sometimes you have to go back to the letter of the law because the intent is is different. And you know, a lot of people try to do this to get around the Second Amendment is, oh, the intent was to defend against King George, and, well, King George is no longer a threat, so you don't need a gun any longer. Yet the Second Amendment is clearly written, much like the First Amendment, which they argue they argue so strongly for that, oh, you can say anything you want in any environment, um, except, you know, some certain things that need to be you know, like fire in a theater or something. But as far as you can... Is, fire in a theater isn't necessarily... Free speech. Uh, free speech. Right, right. You don't. You can't cause panic, but you can, you can say well, pretty much whatever you want. But if you look at the wording of the two amendments, the second amendment is actually written in the same kind of wording as the first. So if you interpret the first to mean that in, in the appropriate scenario which is in most cases, you can say pretty much whatever you want. Um, let the consequences well, of your, your words... I would believe that the Second Amendment really lays the foundation for the First. Oh, yeah, and that's what I'm really trying to get at, is that the Second Amendment is there to protect the First Amendment, because when you get out of line and say too much, you, you, don't, you, know, you need to make sure we're all armed so we don't kill you, so somebody doesn't kill somebody else. That's right. Or the cop doesn't kill you because he's got a gun and you don't, you know. Uh, and it really protects the First Amendment because if everybody's got a gun, well, nobody, you know. Then it kind of brings down the uh, the amount of crime that will happen because of that gun. Uh, so, I don't... Uh, I've lost my track on where we are with this. Well, I guess where we are with this is how uh, one should look at um, the government acting. Yeah. Those upholding the government acting. You know, if, if for example, I look at um, Obama wanting to close Guantanamo uh, Bay. The prison there, yeah, potentially let terrorists free. Well, or worse, or worse, not to just let them free, but give them rights as citizens like us. Yeah, that disgusts me. Crazy. That disgusts me like more than you and can believe. That is neither within. Uh, that is not. That is not within the public interest. Well, that it's it's no it's not really within the law because if they're an enemy combatant, they are not supposed to they are supposed to be treated with different rights than a citizen. There are actually 
written things in treaties that tell you how you're supposed to treat them. And it, it and they're not to be treated like a citizen or be a part of the, quote, uh, your judicial system. They're outside of our judicial system because of the the thing. So what do you do with the enemy combatants that the countries that they originally originated from don't want them back? But they are listed as enemy combatants. And you have to you can try them under military tribunals for crimes they've committed war crimes they've committed. But you're supposed to treat them a certain way and you can't put them in a regular jail because they're not regular inmates. We could just as easily now this brings up a very funny question, you know, hypothetically if we have a a prisoner, say, uh, from Mexico and Mexico doesn't want them, if we were to drop them off at the border and tell them, run along, walk across, and we know full well that Mexico is going to do a firing squad on them as they walk in, Yeah. Uh, and we have somehow some doorstep responsibility for them. Um, that's basically what's going to happen. Is there anything wrong with that? Yeah, we're not supposed to be responsible for that person. And as the ties pointed out, and finally we got somebody with a backbone, you let them die. If they're going to be killed, you know, well, that's not our problem. We can't afford to let it become our problem. We have to maintain our sovereignty. And if that means we're going to be serious, that you got to go home and face the music... Now, the funny thing is, is you can't even get them to home because they won't even accept them, which is the hardest part. And the U.S. is now stuck with these people in Guantanamo Bay. And, and what's even worse is Obama's going to be stuck with them because well, they are enemy combatants. See, I don't understand why these enemy combatants aren't subject to execution. They are subject to execution. A military tribunal. They're subject to a military tribunal for war crimes. And if we have imposed some of them, there are trials going on with military tribunals down in Guantanamo Bay, and theoretically some of them will be executed. But that has not happened, or we would have heard about it. Um, either that or the Bush Department kept it on the down low. I mean... Pretty likely we would have heard about it. Yeah, the trials are going on. And basically they're trying to dump them back on their origin countries, and their origin countries don't want them. But we still, see, here's the thing, and it's a matter of standards. If, if we're suddenly giving these people rights above and beyond the ones of our citizens, okay, we have in some of our states, we still get the death penalty. We can still do lethal injection. We could probably still do electric chairs somewhere as well. Yeah, in actual in an actuality, the federal government in all fifty states can can execute people. Okay. So you can be tried in Massachusetts and be executed by the federal government in Massachusetts for committing a federal crime that carries the death penalty. So if you murder somebody on government property, on fe on a federal building, they'll try you and execute you. Um, or they can try you and execute you. Uh, so execution isn't enough of a deterrent to these guys. 
Well, I mean, we, we used to do a lot of executions all in all, if you look at the country. We used to do a lot more than we do now. Well, we still do a high volume if we, if we want to count Texas. Okay. Well, but is it really, you know, I mean, is there any evidence that it's affecting the, the rate of crime? Um, it doesn't have a huge effect, from what I can understand. So are you in favor of it because it's just plain fun? Yes, and I want to bring back the old style where, you know, everybody got, it was a, an event where everybody in town got together and watched it. And honestly, I think they should sell tickets. Um, like with Live Lion? Uh, I'm not so sure. I mean, I don't mind watching a guy in an electric chair. Um, you wouldn't rather watch someone throw into the lions? Uh, you know, you mean like the old Roman gladiatorial games? Uh, well, you're saying to make it very public and very... You know, uh, family-friendly, I guess. So. Uh, no, 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 no. Family-friendly. Let's get rid of the, those words. Are Those are evil words on this podcast. Oh, they are? Yeah, yeah. Family-friendly. No, no, no. We don't care about families. Look, we're, we're, you know, or at least Lord Clark doesn't, you know. Save the children. We're not about saving the children. It's not a podcast about, oh, my little Johnny might be disturbed by the fact that you decided to crucify this man because he 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 sodomized some innocent young 12-year-old, okay? Um, Mark Clark is so tired that he did not get the sarcasm. You know, he didn't get the sarcasm, but he hates family-friendly, and, you know. In having public executions that are family-friendly. Hey, look, lethal injection is family-friendly ex- public execution, okay? <laughs> as far as my book, that's what family-friendly public execution means, okay? I'm talking about crucifixion. Yeah, we need to throw people to the lions. Yeah, you know, Marlboro will be proud to sponsor. Uh, I, I, I can see it now. It's, yeah. I don't want to hear about family-friendly executions. I want to hear about, you know, French guillotines and all other things and talking heads. No. Let's bring out the axe man again. Oh. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's time to go back to some old English value. What about uh, drawing and quartering? That's kind of torture. Plus, the rack is just a much more efficient way of doing it. So you're not in favor of it? No, because you can use the rack and you get a machine, and the machines are always more fun to use than four horses. And sorry, technology is always just more fun. I mean, you have to admit it. The rack will do the same thing. You can yeah, have... but if you, if you like good old-fashioned rodeos, I mean, how can you object <laughs> to watching drawing and quartering with horses and, you know, people... You know, running around and dust and smoke going on, too, you know? Well, the other thing is, it, it drawing quartering, it doesn't last long enough. I mean... Oh, it can move very slowly. Well, yeah, but you mean you, you hit the horses, they all run in four directions, and out pops the limbs. Oh, they don't, they don't do it quickly. <laughs> well, you know... I mean, where the rack, you know, you get the clicking of the... Uh, 
device. Click. Ah! Click. Ah! You know? <laughs> I mean, I just found it a more efficient method, and then you don't have to feed the horses. You know? You can make glue out of them. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I'm kind of tired, so I, I'm up for I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm up for I don't know. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm getting tired. Oh. All right, let's wrap it up. All right. Well, had another good evening. You can yep. always reach us at uh, podcast at lordclark.com. Uh and uh, if you'd like to, we, we do have a forum, a forum up um, for the podcast. And uh, speak to uh, PayPal. And oh yeah, if you want to, you can always send uh, donations to our uh, PayPal address. You know, podcast at lordclark.com. And uh, have a good evening. Have a good evening.